Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. I'm very excited to say that we have another world-class guest on Talking Trading today. Greg Weldon has analysed and traded the markets for over 30 years. His company, Weldon Financial, is recognised within the industry as one of the top macro market research firms in the world. Wall Street legend, Victor Sperandio listens to what Greg has to say and his analysis on the markets. And today we have Greg for an interview on the climate of the markets at the moment. Just a bit of background about Greg. He worked in the Comex Gold and Silver Pits for Stanley Bell and & Company and as an institutional broker at Lehman Brothers and at Moore Capital. In 1997, he started Weldon Financial where he produces Top Shelf, global macro market research. In today's interview, we start looking at the big picture in the USA right now, and then we move to the topic that everyone is talking about, Bitcoin, then gold, silver, the Australian markets, and other commodities. I warn you, there is a lot to take in in this interview. Greg's high energy His abundance of factual information means that you're really, really going to be needing to think. He goes deep into every question that we ask. So first, let's get Louise Bedford's opinion on being curious in mind power and what it takes to succeed. Enjoy the episode. As a trader, it's so important to be curious. The best traders have the ability to Google, to go deep, to question and to seek the answers to their own questions. If you don't know the meaning of a trading term, Google it. If you don't know what your broker offers in terms of instruments, ask. If you don't understand how your charting package works, watch the tutorials. Do everything you can to learn about your craft. Learn about the history, Learn about the people who have succeeded before you. And most of all, learn about the things that are blocking you from success. Sometimes it can be as simple as setting aside an afternoon to really focus on your own trading lessons so that you can excel. Most traders act like a little kid in the market. They don't know that a great trading plan is their secret weapon. Isn't it time you grew the f*** up? Register on tradinggame.com.au and grab our free trading plan template. It's a sign of being a mature trader. Greg. 
Greg Weldon, CEO and President of Weldon Financial. You have over three decades of market research and trading experience specialising in the metals and commodities markets. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Thanks so much, Caroline. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're also a groovy Californian guy, so let's get your brilliant head around the U.S. market. What is the atmosphere at the U.S. market at the moment? Is the macro economy out of alignment? Well, you know, you talk about California grooving, and you're referencing a piece I recently wrote called California Dreaming. Uh, and in the U.S., you know, California is a place where you have beaches and sun and sand and surf and bikinis and, you know, a very kind of hippy-dippy lifestyle where it's kumbaya and, you know, pretends to be happy, at least, you know, on the inside. Um, but California is a place that's ravaged by wildfires, that's susceptible to earthquakes. And when I look at the U.S. economy, when I look at the backdrop, you know, from a macro perspective, you got to take it back. I mean, you have to go all the way back really to 2009. When QE, you know, saved the day, when, you know, you saw three rounds of quantitative easing by the Fed, buying Treasury bonds, expanding their balance sheet, and each of those uh, episodes was associated with appreciation in the stock market and growth in retail sales. In essence, you know, we kind of, to some degree, reflated our way out of the crisis by reflating stock prices. And what happened in August of 2014, when the Fed went from taper, meaning they were buying less bonds, to tap out, meaning they were buying no bonds outside of, you know, the proceeds of uh, maturing debt, but no no new mo- money printing, essentially. And starting in August of 2014, not coincidentally, at the same exact time, the equity market started going sideways, low volatility, tracted the trading ranges, the market was going nowhere, and uh, retail sales started to flatten out. One thing that kind of changed the dynamic for the consumer and the retail sales dynamic was the decline in energy prices. The decline in gasoline gave the consumer kind of a hall pass for a while. Um, but things have changed since on two fronts. First, you know, commodities are starting to rise and energy is now up year over year. And in the U.S., because of the hurricanes and what happened with gasoline prices, you're looking at significant increases in the commodity components of inflation really throughout the next six to nine months. That's number one. Number two, you have expectations for fiscal QE, i.e. tax cuts, i.e. infrastructure spending in the U.S., and that has been what's driven the stock market since last November. Since the election of the new president in the U.S., you've seen a stock market rally that has been predicated upon expected stimulus from the government that would lift GDP That stimulus is nowhere to be found a year later. The tax package that they're putting together in the U.S., don't think this is going to be a big deal because it isn't. It is too small. It's directed in the wrong places. There's a lot of places where actually middle-class families pay more tax. So you have the consumer, and then you have the Fed raising rates, which is increasing the amount of uh, debt servicing that the consumer has to do because the borrowing by the consumer over the last 39 months has been unprecedented. That's a lot to put on the consumer without actually getting any stimulus, without getting any wage growth uh, to expect that the economy is going to be able to hold up or at the very least meet the expectations already priced into the stock market. Let's talk about stocks going up on no volume. Yeah. Well, as you know, uh, that is a big theme for me. And we actually working on a piece, you know, right now as I'm sitting at my desk during this phone call uh, on the big cap stocks in the U.S. Let's look at it this way. 
You've seen a huge increase in passive investment into index funds in the U.S. Truly, I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, all of those funds, all of the hedge guys, I mean, pretty much everyone owns Facebook, Google, Amazon. The same stocks, the big cap tech stocks, they're the leaders. They are heavily owned. And I think pretty much anyone that wants to own them owns them now. The problem is when you take a Google or an Amazon at a thousand dollars a share, okay, thinking that's if if you want to liquidate, if you go into a kind of a profit-taking distribution phase, if you get an act, you know, some dynamic that people realize, guess what? You're not going to meet the expectations that the market is priced in in terms of GDP growth in the U.S. And you know, if the Fed hikes rates again, it's even less chance you're going to do that. That could be you get a lot of people looking to liquidate their stock at a time when the volume has dried up because how many shares can you trade at a thousand dollars a share versus a hundred dollars a share i mean obviously you know it's ten times as much money to buy the same amount of shares so that's a problem if people go to liquidate and there's no buyers because everyone owns these stocks i think you could get a real kind of accident if you get any kind of catalyst and today you have technical patterns in Facebook and Amazon in particular that are really toppy looking. So I'm concerned about the U.S. stock market. I'm concerned about the high flying tech stocks, you know, potentially being susceptible to kind of a profit taking turns ugly type of scenario. Are there similarities in the market to 2007 and eight? Yeah, there are similarities. There's differences for sure. The banking system is stabilized from that you know perspective. It's not like you have insurance companies with credit default swaps that are going to blow a hole you know, into balance sheets of banks right now. That's not to say that couldn't happen again. It could. But right now, it's not happening. Right now, banks are sitting on a lot of cash. Um, you know, lending has been, you know, growth in lending has been, it's been it's been there, but it's been spotty and it hasn't been consistent. So the banks have accumulated a lot of cash. So the, the difference is the banks are maybe a little better positioned to weather a storm. doesn't mean if you get a typhoon, they're going to be able to completely escape unscathed. They won't be. Um, but, you know, in terms of, Geez, you know, in terms of the similarities, the similarities, frankly, are that you have now, instead of the housing market being where the borrowing is taking place, the borrowing is now credit cards and direct consumer borrowing. So you have a, you know, it's, it's, it's record highs. I mean, it's a trillion, it's 3.77 trillion consumer credit in the U.S., and it's gone up by over a trillion just in the last six years. That's okay. a problem. Let's go to some specific instruments now. Let's go to gold. And you've said a lot of things about gold. One of them was to keep your gunpowder dry. The other is that gold is a coiled spring. What are you seeing in the charts about gold at the moment? Why are you liking it? Yeah, the charts is what suggests it's a coiled spring. You've had a lot of interesting interplay with the dollar, number one. You've had a lot of you know, potential kind of bleeding out of the gold market into Bitcoin. I don't want to make too much about Bitcoin, um, because, you know, let's address that maybe first, because frankly, you know, I'm not saying Bitcoin couldn't go to 100,000. I mean, it very well could and it very well might. And the more energy it takes to create a Bitcoin, that means the less Bitcoins are being created and you have increasing demand. It's a simple supply and demand fundamental. OK, it doesn't matter that, you know, one day you'll turn around, OK, and probably without much notice and it'll be worth zero. So if you think, you know, that the global powers that be that monetary officialdom around the world are going to allow currency, transactional currency, to be created out of thin air, 
that threatens you know the entire monetary system that they take such great pains to protect you think they're not going to come after bitcoin you're crazy i've been around 30 years i'm telling you you're going to come after bitcoin so you're going to have to be really nimble to get out so it's not it's not going to be a substitute for gold or silver as true money no never and here's the reason it has nothing to do with bitcoin or technology or governments or anything else it has to do with one very simple non-debatable fact it's electronic if you have no electricity you have no bitcoin case closed so in a lot of scenarios where you want to talk about pure store of value in the kind of the doomsday prepper scenarios that gold bugs that i'm not one of them not a gold bug i'm often bearish and short gold but right now absolutely not in terms of the question no way because you can't use something electronic when there's no electricity to barter for food or gas now is that an extreme case absolutely but guess what that's why gold's been around for thousands of years it's created in a supernova it's one of the most rare it's one of the rarest elements in the universe okay bitcoin doesn't even compare on so many levels and specifically the pure transactional dynamic if you have some issue with the electrical grid case closed game over for bitcoin okay so you could be you know filthy rich on paper okay number one in electronic currency number two and that'd be meaningless worthless and totally useless in some kind of scenarios where gold and silver are there exactly for those reasons having said all that gold is a coiled spring because to me it, it is very this is where the similarities to 2007 2006 are striking because thinking that the Fed is going to get, you know, to some level above 2% with interest rates, you know, on the Fed funds rate, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're trying to do that as quickly as possible, and they've told us this. They have been very transparent, almost too transparent. You want to instill confidence in some of the Fed's transparency, particularly recently with Yellen saying, we don't understand inflation. You don't want to hear the central bank say, we don't understand something. And they've been saying that for about a year now, you know, so... When, when you start to think about that and you listen to what they say, they're, they're raising rates because they want to have interest rates to cut in the next event. They're already preparing this entire dynamic for the Fed. This whole thing they talk about, quote unquote, and I hate this use of this word, but it's the one that's used, normalization. You can't normalize rates. You'd blow up the entire debt market because you'd have to go, you know, if you're going to take the five-year note back to 5%, the government will go bankrupt. So you can't do that right now. So... You know, this is where they're walking a tightrope, you know, across Niagara Falls with no safety net. It's a dangerous job. I wouldn't want it. It's, you know, it's going to be unrewarding. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, this is when gold shines, when it comes back around that the Fed, whenever they're, you know, staring into, you know, a a deflation dynamic, will choose to err on the side of easiness every time. So, you know, in the sense that gold has potential here just as a rotation out of the stock market. You know, there too. Now, that's not to say, that be, you know, that you're not at risk in gold. Gold is not a risk-free investment, for sure. There could be a scenario like you saw in 2008 for a period of time where everything goes down and gold just goes down less quickly than everything else. What are you seeing in the charts for gold at the moment? I like it. It's going to break out here. I think 1303 is a breakout that takes you up to 1375-ish, 1360, 1375. And depending on what the dollar does, and here's what I think is going to happen, uh, you know, it's the end of November here, so we're looking at a December Fed meeting in a couple of weeks. The dollar's been under pressure after rallying, you know, on more hawkish speak from the Fed at their last, you know, meeting when they put out a dot plot 
that was a little more hawkish than people thought it would be. So if you get an anticipation that the Fed is going to raise rates and the Fed funds rates, the implied rates, made new highs today. So the odds are increasing that the Fed's going to hike, according to the market, in December. You might see the dollar rally into December and gold kind of hold back. And I think then they're going to actually work down some of the expectations for future tightening. And that's going to cause the dollar to drop and gold to break out. And I think longer term, this is a multi-decade bull market that, in my opinion, started in 1999. Twelve years into the 2011 high, you've had your 50% almost perfect. I remember when gold was down and it had come off its highs. The, the number of days you dip below the 50% retracement of the entire rally from 1999. Okay, actually, no, from the 2000, check that. From the 2008 low was the 50% correction. You kept bouncing. There was huge demand, and you never really went below that level. Um, from here, you've had four years, ABC, 50% correction, and now you're breaking the trend line that goes back to the 2011 high. It's pretty simple. You know, wave one, big big 12-year move into 2011. Wave two, four-year correction. One-third the length of the up move. So all the you know Fibonacci ratios, numbers, the math all fits. ABC, 50%, now you're breaking out. This should be wave three, and it should go to new highs. It's a question of how long and what does it take us to, to get there. But I think, you know, when you're talking in the next three to five-year time horizon, gold will have made new record highs. Silver. I know you grew up in the silver pits and you have an emotional attachment to silver. You're liking it in the charts as well. What's going on? Same thing. It'll follow gold. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, kind of the gold-silver ratio. Normally, silver's been a leader. It's been different, you know, in this kind of new era, so to speak, where, you know, really the focus is on gold and less so silver. Uh, that could change. Um, I think silver, to me, as a lower-priced metal, you know, is, is kind of almost always a better alternative. Um, so we think silver is good. You know, the problem is that silver does have the bigger downside risk because it is an industrial metal, because if the metals... You know, if it is a scenario where the Fed kind of raises rates too much and you get a little bit of deflation, even in commodities, um, because the dollar rallies, which I don't see happening. I think that's why the dollar is going down. It's kind of telling us that's not going to happen. But if it does start to play out that way and we will, we'll, you know, we think we'll recognize that based on what we watch, um, you know, it could be a case, again, where kind of everything goes down and gold, and gold goes down less than other things. That's when silver would be susceptible. So the risk-reward dynamics are a little more skewed towards the risk side in silver than they are in gold. So right now, I'm preferring to hold gold. You're speaking to an Australian at the exact time that the ASX is sitting at a nine-year high at 6,025 points. And I know you spoke a lot about the ASX in Weldon Live on yesterday's market wrap. Let's talk about the Aussie market. What is trending? What you like the look of? Well, you know, it's been led by the financials and, uh, you know, it's interesting to kind of keep an eye on the Aussie bond market where you had, it was one of the first markets to, you know, see an increase in yields and it's kind of stabilized. I mean, you know, the RBA has preferred that, you know, regulators handle the housing bubble, which you have there, okay? Uh, it's, you know, pretty regional, pretty selective in terms of where it is the most, uh, you know, uh, vociferous in terms of the bubbliciousness of the price increase. But, it, it, you know, I think the RBA has pretty much said, you know, we don't want to really have to address that with rate increases. Uh, you know, employment has been spotty. You've had some great periods of growth and you've seen like full time growth be a be a leader over part time growth. That's been something that we've seen recently. It's been really good. But the RBA wants the Aussie dollar lower. So, I mean, they, they don't want to see a rise in the Aussie dollar. And that's always something that's on their mind. And they feel, you know, if not for the kind of the bouts of strength we've seen 
the last 18 months in the Aussie dollar, maybe the Australian economy would be better situated. I think the bottom line for Australia now is the market is is vulnerable. I mean, you, you kind of have a double top almost in place on a short-term basis. It's a pretty far way to the pre-crisis peak. Uh, so, you know, that's going to take a lot to get up there. I don't know that that's going to happen. And some of the financials look extensive. So what we're doing here, you know, for the Aussie clients is if you're underweight in some of the metals, you might want to flip-flop that and be overweight. Uh, stuff like just the, the big names, the benchmark blue chip behemoths, you know, the, the Rio Tintos, the BHPs, and the Newcrest mining are the three we focused on yesterday. They're all outperforming the ASX 200 over the last 52 weeks, and we expect that outperformance to expand, you know, particularly if you see what we think we're going to see in uh, metals and commodities in general. Uh, one thing I will say is, you know, the economy is not bad, and you've seen really good import numbers from China for Australian you know, Australian products, I mean, iron ore being key among them. But, um, you know, our play here in Australia, given that we don't see much shake in the currency, I mean, we like the Aussie dollar versus the Kiwi dollar. It's kind of an offside currency play. Uh, but in terms of kind of macro thematic ideas, uh, it really is kind of, you know, rotation out of what's worked, i.e. financials, uh, and into the kind of underperformers that are just now breaking out, which are you know, the metals-based mining shares. Commodities. You've spoken a lot about commodities over the last few days, and you're saying that they're looking good for 2018. Energy starting to move, oil starting to move. What do you see in the charts? Well, I mean, we're calling 2018 the year of the commodities, with a couple of question marks attached to it. Um, and right now, where I see trade opportunities is in the commodity space. So we're calling it kind of, you know, potentially the year of commodities in 2018. And the piece I just wrote is called. We're going to party like it's 1999. Prince song, right? Uh, with the purple crazy guitar and, you know, the whole nine yards. Prince. And we're, we're calling it that because that's when commodities started to move to the upside. Uh, very similar kind of, you know, thought process around commodities in terms of sentiment. Nobody likes them. So, you know, energy rallied. You know, the base metals have rallied. And yet when you talk commodities, you know, people are like, you know, they, they really, you know, corn and wheat are at new lows. So commodities stink, right? Well, no, they haven't stunk. We've made really nice, profitable trades in the commodities space for our customers this year on the research side. Um, you know, starting with the base metals, aluminum and zinc have been really strong. You've had cutbacks by producers. This is where the supply-demand capitalism starts to work. I mean, prices were low. You cut back output. And all of a sudden, you know, you get your flip-flop. I mean, so, you know, it's kind of the beauty of the supply-demand fundamental at work, you know, in the, in the background in some of these metals. But zinc and aluminum have been the best performers. I think nickel is the next one ready to go. I want to see confirmation from tin because it's always the leader. It's not been performing. So that's disappointing to me. Uh, copper, I think, is susceptible. Copper is overcooked. Everyone owns it. It's an amply supplied market. The swaps are at new contract lows, which indicate there's no shortage of supply. It's been a speculative U.S. trade based on expectations of infrastructure spending, that's not going to happen. So copper's vulnerable. So you might see a correction in base metals led by copper, but we still like them, and we want to buy zinc on a dip, aluminum on a dip, and nickel on a breakout. In terms of the, um, in terms of the energy, we've been long gasoline for a while, and it's been a very profitable trade. Uh, heating oil has kind of taken over as the leader. We don't want to stop out because I'm telling you, come the spring here in the U.S., the gasoline market could be really exciting. Now, people are long crude oil. Uh, you have the swap rates 
you know, pricing in a real bullish scenario 2018. It might be a little too lopsided. So if anything's susceptible to a correction, it could be energy. But we see much higher prices going forward. This is the beginning of a, of a big bull market. But the long-term technicals only just now turning bullish. You know, you went down so much. It's like housing starts in the U.S. You go to such a really low level. It doesn't matter that they doubled. They're still in a recessionary level. It's the same with crude oil. It went so low. Crude oil prices have doubled. They're barely a third of the way back from where they came at their peaks. So you got to keep perspective. We really like energy longer term, susceptible near term. Greg, where can people go to hear more of your fantastic market analysis? Well, you go to our website, which is www.weldononline.com. And that's W-E-L-D-O-N, weldononline.com. You can email me at Greg Weldon, that's G-R-E-G-W-E-L-D-O-N, at weldononline.com, and we'll get you set up. We offer a free trial to any of your listeners. Greg, it has been amazing to walk around inside your head for 30 minutes. Come back on Talking Trading and tell us more about the markets. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's, uh, you do a good job down there. Stay tuned next week to hear our own Chris Tate on the highlights of the market during 2017. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.